the reading of God's word this morning in Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, we have come to worship you in spirit and truth. Therefore, we ask that by your spirit, our minds would be opened and our hearts would be obedient. For it's in Christ that we ask it. Amen. Let me ask you to begin with this morning, is it possible, is it possible to be Christ-like and be a hostile wife or a caustic husband? Is that possible? You know, some of you may have had the misfortune of growing up in a home where you went to church often, you heard the, the gospel, but when you came home, you didn't necessarily see the gospel. Seven-year-old little girl told her neighbor she had just watched Cinderella, and the neighbor, wanting to engage her, said, well, how did you like the ending where Cinderella and the prince live happily ever after? And the little girl said, that's not what happened at the end. They got married. She unknowingly made a statement that is too often a reality. They didn't live happily ever after. They got married. You know, one of the fundamental rules of ministry is never preach on verse 18 alone because what will happen is the men will show up and take scrupulous notes and then conveniently be absent the following Sunday because they don't want to hear what verse 19 has to say. So good preachers never, ever preach verse 18 alone. They always keep them together. And it begins with the word, though, to Christian wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Why is this command necessary? Why does he have to say that? Well, you've got to go back to Genesis to get the answers. After Eve is deceived and leads her husband to rebel against the Lord, that's called sin, part of the consequences is she will not only experience pain in childbirth, but Eve is told, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Why? Well, prior to the fall, there was no conflict between Adam and Eve. There was no need for Adam to rule over her. But once Eve is deceived and Adam sins, because he's the one the Lord told don't eat from that tree. This is long before Eve is even created. So he's the one who sins against the Lord. And after that enters the picture, conflict becomes the norm. As a matter of fact, you can't get out of Genesis without reading about the numerous assaults that are made on God's wonderful design for marriage. In Genesis 2, man is created male and female. XX chromosomes for one, XY chromosomes for the other, divinely designed for the two to become one flesh in marriage. And no amount of rebellion will enable man to change those chromosomes. But if you want to know where evil comes from, it's not something created by a holy God. No, no. Evil is the result of man's rebellion. It is a parasite on the holiness of God. 
And if you don't believe me, continue reading in the book of Genesis. Chapter 4, polygamy is already introduced. Chapter 9, pornography is introduced. Chapter 16, adultery is introduced. Chapter 19, homosexuality is introduced. Chapter 34, fornication is introduced. Chapter 38, incest and prostitution is introduced. Verse 39, seduction is introduced. We're still in Genesis. Men born of the seed of Adam who rebelled in their fallen condition, they become perverted. They're perverted in how they think. They're perverted in what they do. And the only hope they have is to be born again. That's it. The only hope they have is to receive a new nature. You know, I'm often asked, why is there so much polygamy? Why is there, there this mention of concubines throughout the Old Testament? Well, what you're reading is a result of the curse that man has brought on himself when he decided he'd be his own God. And so you see it throughout the Old Testament. Matter of fact, it's in the intertestamental period as well. It's even in the New Testament. Until you get to the church, the body of Christ, where because of the new birth, that behavior no longer exists after the Holy Spirit transforms the human heart. It does not exist within the Christian. Restoring man to a proper relationship with his creator is the only thing that is going to deliver us from perverted ways of thinking and perverted ways of living. And the Lord told Adam and Eve that in the beginning. As a result of the decision you have made, here are the consequences of your behavior. Go back and read it yourself. Uh, this Genesis 3, verse 16. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, what does that word desire mean? Does that mean that she's going to be uncontrollably attracted to her husband? She's not going to be able to stand to be without him? Wow, if that's a curse, then may the Lord smite my wife daily. Whack her again every morning, Lord. Unfortunately, that's not the meaning of this word desire. Say, so, well, what's its meaning? Well, it's only used twice in Scripture, in Genesis 3 and again in Genesis 4. The Hebrew word for desire is, is what the Lord uses to, when he speaks to Cain. And he said, you know what? Sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. And you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door and it desires you to master you, to consume you, to dominate you, to take over your mind, to control your behavior. You've got to rule over it or it's going to be really, really bad. And it was. I mean, this is why the Lord said to Adam, you're going to have to rule over her after this. You didn't have to do that before all of this occurred. But now you're going to have to. Because Eve is going to have a natural desire 
to completely turn upside down what I designed to be beautiful. The construction of Genesis 3.16 is exactly the same as Genesis 4.7. Eve's rebellious attitude is going to become the norm. She chooses to take matters into her own hands and she acted independently of the divine design the Lord put into place. She convinced her husband, listen to me instead of listening to the Lord. And as a result, I mean, there's just natural conflict within marriage. Alistair Begg said that uh, St. Peter was trying to get heaven organized one day and he said to the men, I, I want all of you who struggled on earth to get your wife under control to go to my left and all men successful at ruling your house well, I want you to stand to my right. And immediately there was a stampede in heaven to Peter's left. Only one man stood to the right. And Peter said, you must feel pretty good about yourself standing there all alone. And the man said, yes. Yes, I feel very good about myself. I'm standing exactly where my wife told me to stand. I don't know how Alistair got that information from heaven, but it illustrates a biblical truth concerning the fall. Within marriage, there is conflict. And that battle began in the garden. And how is the curse reversed? Christ said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must. And the new nature you receive enables Christian husbands to now love their wives sacrificially and unconditionally in the same way that Christ loves the church. And Christian wives are gladly, willingly submitting to the Lord first and then to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord, just as he designed it. So verse 18 is for Christian wives. Submit to your husbands. And the word submit here is hupotasso. Hupo means underneath. What do you think tasso means? Don't say skin. He's not saying to get under your husband's skin. Tasso means to place. To place? Hupotasso means willingly place yourself under your husband with whom the Lord has designed for you to be one. It's the same word used when, when speaking of a policeman. When, uh, when, when a policeman pulls you over, you don't ask about his quiet time. You don't ask about where he got his degree. You don't ask about where he was trained. Out of respect for him, you willingly place yourself under his authority and you treat him with dignity and with honor. Why? Why do you do that? Because the biblical design for an officer of the law is to serve as an instrument of justice to do good and to restrain evil. So Christian wives, in recognition of God's design for marriage, in recognition of your husband's biblical responsibility, what do they do? They willingly place themselves underneath their husband's loving care. Why? Because that is fitting in the Lord. It is unbecoming for a Christian wife who understands the order of creation. See, for a Christian wife who understands God's design for marriage, who understands how the Lord intended for the family to function, 
It's unbecoming for her to be harsh and rebellious and disrespectful. You know, in every biblical text about the family, 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, all of them, the wife is always mentioned first. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that would be the case? Maybe it's because you can't tell a man to lead if his wife won't allow it. I don't care if you're General George Patton. He can't lead in a home where there is rank rebellion. And so what is a Christian man's option? A Christian man's option. If his wife in public or in private refuses to treat him with respect, what is he to do? What options does he have when his kids will not honor his attempts to lead because his wife is undermining that? What's he to do when he's trying to make decisions in the best interest of his family and his wife won't allow it? What are his options if he is married to a woman that the Bible describes in Proverbs 21 where it says, it's better to live in the corner of an attic than it's to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now let's be real clear about what this text does not mean. The Lord is not saying that women are to be submissive to men. That's not the point. This does not mean, nor does it even say, the Lord created women to be doormats for bigger, stronger, chauvinistic males. That's not the point of the text. And this does not mean that a wife in a godly marriage has no options. That she simply must do what she is told to do because he rules the house. No, that's, again, you've missed the point. Hupotasso has to do with a Christian wife respecting a Christian husband in the privacy of their own home so they can work together as one to rear their children in the admonition of God's word. It means that she does not scream at him or call him names or degrade him with sarcasm. She doesn't try to get the children to line up against him. She's committed, committed to coming alongside him in a way that enables him to be a spiritual leader. Therefore, when she succeeds, he succeeds. And the family, as the Lord designed it, is blessed. That's why this command to submit is qualified. Do you see the qualification in verse 18? As is fitting in the Lord. The word fitting here is critical to the text. You remember in in the book of Esther, uh, there was the wife of the Persian king, Uh, Vashti, she was asked to dance provocatively for the entertainment of a drunken crowd. And what'd she say? No. No. Same thing the apostles said in Acts 4. Stop preaching. No. We serve God rather than man. Christian wives only place themselves voluntarily under the authority of their Christian husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So what if he is asking 
What if, what if he's asking me to make decisions or to do things that are actually harmful to our family? What if he's, if he's asking me to do something that I know is wrong? Do I support him simply because he's my husband? No. That is not fitting in the Lord. I mean, here's the point. Treating him with kindness. Treating him with respect. Enabling him to be what the Lord called and designed him to be. To do that as a Christian wife is to, is to uh, really fit the, the uh, description that is given, it, not in Psalm 21, but Psalm 31. It says, an excellent wife, who can find? Man, they are hard. There, there's, not, there's not a lot out there, at least back in the, the, the days when Proverbs was written. Her worth is far more than rubies. Boy, if you can find one. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Trust her how? What? He trusts her to be faithful to him. He trusts her to handle money responsibly. He trusts her to instruct their children rightly. As a matter of fact, the crown of a man's life is his wife. Do you realize the highest praise that you can give a man is when you say to him, how in the world did you convince this glorious woman to marry you? I mean, you have certainly married up, my friend. You have outkicked your coverage. You outdid yourself when you married that lady. Now, you might think saying something like that to him might make him mad, you know. It doesn't. You say that to a guy, I tell you what, he'll stick his chest out and he'll revel in the glory of his conquest. And he'll brag about how he's a, he's a clod and... Uh, he didn't know how he got such a glorious woman to marry him. Now, if you want to create a fight with him, you say something derogatory about his wife. You insult his crown and he'll fight you. Now listen, you can't, you can't do that with women. Okay? You, you can't say, how did a loser like you get such a wonderful godly man? You know, she will not find that amusing. You do not say that to women. But ladies, do you see the point? Do you? The way you treat your husband in public is critical to your husband's self-respect. Why? You're the jewel of his kingdom. You're the jewel. When you interrupt him or challenge him or make him look like a fool, you disembowel his masculinity. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, what do I do when my, my husband's making a fool of himself? I mean, do you realize he yells at officials at our five-year-old soccer game? Really? His behavior is completely unacceptable. What does a good wife do? Does she say nothing? No. This text is not suggesting that you never speak when correction is needed. That's part of your being a helpmate. But anyone married for a period of time, they know how to communicate without publicly humiliating their spouse. I've been 
married, I'm going on 47 years. You think that I don't know when Tanya gives me the look? That fake smile? The signal? Indicating I better reevaluate what I'm saying right now. Some wives can give their husbands a big hug with a big smile and only their husband and God know what they whispered in his ear. Everybody else just sees the change in his behavior. You know what she's done? She's instructed him in a better way and the heart of her husband trusts her. Now for some men whose heads are harder than others and they do exist, There may be times when a loving wife needs to get in their face to get their attention. But ladies, one of the most horrific things that you can do in public or in private is to be really disrespectful to your husband, especially in front of the children. You know, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, meaning it doesn't last. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised shall be praised. Hupotasso does not mean women are to be submissive to men. doesn't say that anywhere. Hupotasso does not mean that married women are to be submissive to their husbands who physically, verbally, or emotionally are destructive to them or and their children. Hupotasso does not mean inferiority. As a matter of fact, the the roles of Christian husbands and wives occur among equals. The structural differences within the marriage do not imply that one is more important than the other. They are equal heirs of the grace of life, according to 1 Peter 3. So then what does hupotasso mean? Hupotasso means that a Christian wife With her new nature in Christ, she gladly places herself under the loving care and authority of her husband with whom she is one as is fitting in the Lord. The way the the Lord created man and woman to come together as one. Genesis 2.24, to be one. The way he designed it prior to the rebellion in the garden. She works really, really hard to be a good helpmate. Exactly what the Lord created her to be. Doing all she can to correct her husband when he's wrong. To give him wise advice when he's acting foolish. To enable him to be the spiritual leader that he's meant to be. And that's why she speaks to him with tenderness in private. And she treats him with respect in public. It's why she gives him wise counsel and prays for him and encourages him. And men, we ought not make that any more difficult for them than it already is. So now the Lord speaks to you. Husbands, love your wives. He's talking to Christian husbands here. The Greek word agape is the same word for when the Lord speaks of his love for his church. So let me ask you guys, when was the last time you were wronged by Christ? How long did Christ... uh, go in his um, suffering, long suffering with you? How low did he go to exalt you? 
all the way to a cross? So, so how does this love, this agape, how, how does it look? Well, agape love is not an emotion. It's a love that you can see that by how it acts, that there is this unconditional love for another person. 1 Peter 3, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as the weaker vessel. Oh, wow, what does that mean? Weaker? In what sense? Some say, well, it's, she's, she's weaker uh, physically. It's possible. Uh, we know that it does not mean that she's weaker intellectually because many of you have wives that are much smarter than you. We know it doesn't mean spiritual maturity because many of you have wives who are much more mature in the Lord than you are. So what does it mean? Weaker? Vessel? It's her position in the home. Designed by the Lord for a purpose. In other words, she's not Tupperware. (laughs) She has a valuable place in your home. You treat her like you do fine china. She's precious, beautiful, valuable. And if she is to fulfill her purpose for which she was specifically created, her husband has to treat her in an understanding way has to show honor to her. In other words, you can see how much he loves her. You can see how much he values her by the way he treats her. I mean, do you see how Christ treated women? It didn't matter whether they were half-breed Samaritans like the lady at the well in John 4. It didn't matter if they were there's someone that had been in sin as the lady that was drug out in front of him uh, who was caught in the act of adultery in John 8. It didn't matter if if they were the sisters of his good friend Lazarus in John 11. Or or they could even be women of great influence like Joanna, who was the wife of Chusa. You remember Chusa? He is the the one who manages King Antipas' estate. Herod Antipas' estate. That's a woman that he healed. And you know what? She continued to support Christ's ministry from that day forth. And it's not surprising that it's women, women who are among the most faithful givers to his ministry. And they're the last ones at the cross. They're the first ones at the tomb. Husbands, listen. The text in 1 Peter 3 says, you show honor to your wife. So your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, if you're out of fellowship with your wife, you're out of fellowship with the Lord. I have some first cousins in Florida who own rental property. And I was down there one time and and they were showing me right after they'd had some bad weather and some people got upside down in their homes and so they abandoned them. And uh, they went in and bought some of these places to to fix them up. And I tell you, they were beautiful on the outside. These were gorgeous homes. But when you walked inside, it was a smelly mess. There was mildew and mold and it was awful. And the same thing can be true here. You can see people who've got nice houses, nice cars, great jobs. 
But I tell you, if you're not treating your wife with understanding and honor and respect, you can end up with a smelly mess on your hands. So do not take your wife home today and say at lunch, did you hear that you need to be more submissive? Bad move, guys. If you go home and you say that to your wife, you will prove to her you missed the whole point of the text. Why do you think verse 19 says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them? Why is he commanding these guys to love their wives? See, in that day, it was common for marriages to be arranged. And so there may not have been a lot of romance prior to the wedding. This is an arrangement between two families. And so now you've got to come together and you've got to learn how to love this lady unconditionally. He doesn't use the word eros for romantic love. He uses the word agape, an unconditional love. The Lord designed a wife's submission to function within the context of unconditional love, not oppression. So you can't say to her, honey, and then treat her like vinegar. I mean, in most cases, fellas, she has given up her name to become one with you. She's given up her body to bear your children, went through hours of labor, and then fed that child from her own body. And after the birth, got up during the night to care for this little rebel who's going to stomp his foot and say no to her. Why? Why is your kid going to say no to your wife? Because they were born of your seed. They were born of Adam's seed. They're going to naturally be selfish. They're going to naturally be rebellious. We can't just say, I love you. They've got to see that you love them. How? Well, it's, it's a good start to make time for them. I'm talking about like, like you did back when you were dating. And see, this really ought to be easier for us than it was those first century Christian husbands because most of us are, are, are not um, involved in an arranged marriage. <laughs> we actually whined and dined and convinced this lady that the best decision she could make in her whole life was to marry us. Is that not right, ladies? Hmm? You, you, didn't, you didn't say to yourself, you know, man, I tell you what, this guy's a great mechanic and I need somebody to take care of my car. I think I'll marry him. You didn't say, man, I tell you what, you ever seen how he can use a weed eater and I really like for my yard to look nice and so forth. I think I'll marry this guy. There was a degree of romance there, wasn't there? And once the ring is on the finger, once she says, I do, where did the romance go? You know, no woman wants to give herself to a man who has exiled her emotionally. If your wife says, you hurt my feelings, what do you do? What do you do? You follow the example of General Robert E. Lee and you surrender at Appomattox with your sword. And when she responds emotionally, do not give her the classic male answer that is logical and reasonable. 
They don't think logically or reasonably when they are emotional. You can't say A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C. Do you not understand, honey, you should not feel this way? How is she going to respond? She's going to say, oh, I thought I was just depressed. Now I see that I'm also stupid. Don't do that, guys. This is a command to you. It is a fact that is not optional. We don't vote on this. This isn't something we, we can take or leave. This is not optional. Christian wives, submit to your Christian husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And you Christian husbands, you love your wives. Don't you be harsh. That's picranio. Don't be exasperated. Don't be irritated with them. You know, when Christian wives submit to Christian husbands, you know what they do? This is why this applies whether you are married or not, or whether you've ever been married or not. When they do that, they demonstrate how the church is to respond to Christ. And when Christian husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church, they demonstrate how this marvelous design, marred by sin in the garden, has been restored at the cross through our redemption in Christ. So what do we take home from this? Well, two, two quick lessons. There's many, but we'll just do two real quickly. Number one, what you believe will show up in how you live. It doesn't matter how well you articulate the great doctrines of Scripture. What you believe will show up in how you live. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is what comes out of his life. And you know where it shows up first? Shows up in the home. Shows up in the home. Number two, our commitment in the home is an extension of our commitment to Christ in the church. To, to answer the question at the beginning of this message, is it possible to be Christ-like and be a hostile wife or a caustic husband? What would you say? You know, given the number of times that I have failed at this in my own life, I'd have to say that a commitment to be submissive as is fitting in the Lord, a commitment to love my wife without being exasperated or irritated with her, is a progressive part of my continuing commitment to God's word my daily yielding to his spirit that requires regular repentance. So don't go home and say, were you listening to what God's word said to you today? What you do is you go home and say, I heard what God's word said to me today. And I want you to know, first of all, I love the Lord. And second of all, I love you. I love you enough to continue honoring God's word in my life. And that that will be lived out in how I treat you. And so pray for me as I will pray for you. Now, if you have questions about this, you, you know you can go to the connect table or if you need prayer, you can go to the prayer room just opposite the women's bathroom. Or if you need help, 
you can come to my study this week, and I'll be glad to do everything that I can. Um, a couple of things I've been asked to share with you before we, we leave, and that is we've got a couple of uh, big things that are, are coming up. Anybody that's been here for any length of time, you know about the Fall Festival. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to celebrate the Reformation by bringing and inviting neighbors and family and friends and other people to come and join with us. So I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, sign up back there as to what you will bring to help participate in the fall festival. Uh, and number two, when you bring family and friends and neighbors and, and so forth, uh, please make sure that they meet other people here. Uh, we, we, I love the fall festival, but it always makes me nervous because I'm afraid that somebody who is visiting, who is new, is going to come and they're going to see how friendly we are with all of our friends, but yet nobody speaks to them. I would encourage you just to look for people you don't know and introduce yourself and make them welcomed. This is a wonderful opportunity, folks. The second thing, um, there's some things coming up that uh, Tim is preparing for um, a, a college and young adults uh, career thing that's coming up the 1st of November. Man, I would encourage you not only to come to that, if that, if that fits your, your description, and invite your friends at school and so forth to come and join with you. I think what Tim's got planned is just fantastic. Thirdly, uh, we have been meeting in two services, and as you can see, most of the people come to the second service. And there's been a real clamoring for uh, us to, to, to come back together as a, a church. We tried to do that uh, last year at Christmas, um, and it turned out to be a disaster because we were not prepared. <laughs> and, uh, and it was so full, uh, people had to go into rooms and, and watch on the video and so forth, and, and that, that was not good. We're going to be prepared this time. And um, we're going to come back together as a body. Uh, and we're going to turn this uh, uh, early service, and we're going to make it at 9.30 again. We're going to turn this into a great opportunity for you to connect with other people through the study of God's word. Uh, there are going to be life groups. And it's going to be kind of by ages. And it's not that you have to go to your, your age group, but, but it's there for your, um, for your benefit. And uh, I really think this is going to be a good thing. And uh, Tim and Kevin are working hard on this, and I think it's going to be fantastic. Then at 1030, we will worship together as a family. Uh, this is going to be the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and we'll continue on with that uh, through Christmas and uh, into the first of the year. So uh, I, I want you to know for this service, even though I, I know that the bulk of the people come to the second service, uh, this service will not be a 9 o'clock worship service uh, anymore after uh, Thanksgiving. We're going to come together as a family at Thanksgiving. And I hope, though, that you will take advantage of the 930 uh, life groups, and I hope that you will take advantage of, of certainly worshiping with the body as a whole uh, at, at 1030. So with that said, uh, would you stand with me as we pray together? Father, we come to you today asking for your wisdom because you have promised to grant it liberally without finding fault. Wisdom to know how to be courageous in our commitment 
to be what you have called us to be. You have obviously redeemed us, given us a new birth, granted us a new spirit, new nature. And Father, we, we come together to worship you out of gratitude. Out of gratitude. We're just so thankful. And Lord, we want to leave here having not just heard the word, but committed to obeying it. Father, I pray that our Christian wives will be able to gladly, voluntarily submit themselves to their Christian husbands who are loving them unconditionally that we might be a testimony to the whole church and to the community as to the marvelous design that you had from the beginning is really what is best. And so, Father, we pray this morning that we would not be just hearers of the word, but doers. For it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen.